We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Welcome to a very special episode of 10 Questions, and thank you for your comments last week on the Jared Waitley interview. Today we're going to be talking to comedian Nazim Hussain, but he's not just a comedian. He's a graduate of science and law. He's a patron of RISE, refugees, survivors, and ex-detainees. He's been the director and treasurer of the Islamic Council of Victoria. His major TV work includes Salem Cafe and Legally Brown. I've been following his career for a while, and I was lucky enough to spend a few days with him in a writer's workshop this year. And I don't want to put too much pressure on the guy, but if this country's ever to achieve peace and understanding, Nazim will have been somewhere at the forefront. He really brings people and communities together like few people I've met. In this interview, he talks about avoiding death, rapping with Australian cricketers and Jeff Kennett. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at The10Questions and on Facebook at 10Questions with Adam Zwar. I hope you enjoyed this interview. Question one is, when were you most happy? It's a tricky question to answer because I'm, I'm pretty happy generally. Uh, but there was one, there's one particular, <laughs> there's one particular incident that sort of sticks out. Um, we were in Sri Lanka, me and my family, um, me, my my mum, my older sister, my younger sister. I was about oh, ten years old at the time. My little sister would have been about eight and a half. Uh, we were travelling from Kandy to Colombo, so from Central Sri Lanka to, you know, the capital on the coast. And we were on a bus, uh, and then we stopped off to have a toilet break. And my little sister, she was just busting to go to the toilet. Uh, and, we, uh, and my mum said, listen, don't go to the toilet. You know, we're going to miss the bus, and, and then we're going to have to wait three hours for the next bus, and we might get late to the wedding. My sister was crying, and, you know, she kicked up a huge fuss, and she eventually went to the toilet. We missed the bus. We had to wait three hours for the next bus. We got on the next bus. As we were driving, there was a delay on the road, and uh, we eventually found out what it was. And it was the earlier bus that we were on. It had fallen off a cliff, and everyone on the bus had died. And uh, it was because of my sister needed to go to the toilet, having loose bowels. So that was, to be honest, it was one of the, it was one of the saddest moments of my life, but it was also one of the happiest moments of my life. Like, we literally... Like we rejoiced that my sister insisted on going to the toilet. So that kind of sticks out as one of the one of the happiest moments in my life. Oh my god, mate, that is unbelievable. So, you know, I guess the moral is: if you need to go, you've got to go. Just go. It could save your life. Um, yeah. Wow. Okay, that's amazing. Um, question two is: who would you like to apologise to, and why? Uh, I got a lot of people to apologise to. Um, there's one particular guy who I actually I forgot his name. I went to school with him. Um, this nice Asian kid. He was a bit of a nerd. Um, and uh, you know what? Before I tell the story, like I was, I'm actually a guy that likes to. I, I don't like bullying, and I stand up. I, I, I generally would like to consider myself someone that stands up against bullies. But there's one particular kid he used to get bullied because he had dandruff, and every time he walked around the school, every guy it was a boys over school. They would just start chanting. D A N D rough, D A N D rough, and, and it got louder and louder. Um, and to be honest, I found it a little bit funny. I never joined in, but I never stopped it. And I never saw that guy after I finished school. I don't know what happened to him in life. Um, he might have gone on to become like, you know, a serial killer, or he, 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 you know, 
he, he might be doing something really amazing, but I feel like I've, I contributed to a very bad period of his life, and it was terrible. It was terrible. I, I can't believe I didn't do anything. The bullying of fellow students is a common theme when I ask people who they'd like to apologise to. But Nazim offered a new insight when he talked about the bullying of teachers. So there was a teacher at my school who got caught, actually. He got busted walking out of a strip club, um, and every time he took to class, he was a substitute teacher, people would just start yelling out, Nudie bar, nudie bar, nudie bar. And, you know, he actually used to crack very often. And he'd go, I, I, I didn't go to a nudie bar. I didn't. And sometimes he'd storm out of the classroom. So, <laughs> but I don't know how this makes me look, you know, but admitting to bullying. No, we, we've all been through it. What's your greatest regret? Question three, what's your greatest regret? Uh, my greatest regret. Um, you know, I actually was a pretty good cricketer. And I uh, just never did anything with those skills. So it's, I, just, I just feel like, you know, I could have been a, a world-class comedian and cricketer, but instead I'm only a world-class comedian. <laughs> no, I, I, um, I, I, just never, I, just never, I just never trained seriously. And I, remember I had one of those moments, you know, from those movies where, where the coach says, come on, kid, you can be somebody. you just got to work hard at it. And that talk really did affect me. But then I went home, and then I just never followed through with it. Never continued training, and um, and I yeah, I, I feel like I've missed out on a lot of. Well, mate, you know, I could have been representing Australia. Batsman or bowler? I was a batsman. I was, I was a batsman. I was. I was. I was uh... You know what? At the same time, I could. Uh, this just could all be in my mind. Objectively, I could have been really shit, and it could have just been a great pep talk um, that I believed. <laughs> but I just never followed through with it. So socially, I'm, I'm not even that great now. So I think it's possibly all in my head. So you would have played, your idea was... Would have well, played. I would have played for Australia, but I would have been very conflicted. Because when, when, when Australia plays Sri Lanka in the cricket, I go for Sri Lanka, you know. I, I don't fit in in the Australian crowd. No one's... I, I, try, I have sat with the Australian, and people tell me to show, me, show them my visa, so it's not like... You know, so I think maybe that's... I'm going to blame racism on, on my... <laughs> My cricketing career not going anywhere. It's a very white team. It's a very white team. <laughs> oh, we've got a few. We've got a, we've got a, got a couple of you got Usman Khawaja and uh, who else? Yeah, yeah. Lately, but you know, it's traditionally it's been yeah. uh-huh. Lenny Pasco was the only kind of Mediterranean person in it in the team. You know, it's it's like a whole That's lot it. of I know. McGraths and McDermotts and you know. And it's now that Nazim provided some breaking news. It's a pretty big story. And I don't know how Cricket Australia are going to be able to deal with it. The, the wicketkeeper, Peter Neville. Yeah. He was actually my best friend in primary school. I'm not just saying that because now he's the, the, really? you know, the, the wicketkeeper. Yeah, we used, to, we, used to have, we used to rap together, actually. We, we used to, in grade one and grade two, we, we, were the, we, we had a rap duo going on, Peter Neville and I. But, um, yeah, he was, oh, he was much better than me. He seems yeah. like a nice guy. He was a very nice guy, um, and so he followed his dreams. Do you think I could have been a little more enthusiastic about that revelation? Moving on. Question four is, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? To be honest, I don't know. I generally feel pretty satisfied in my life. You know, maybe you know, I've got no bucket list. I don't know if that means I don't have ambitions, but, you know, maybe, I guess, a family, you know, that's get a dog at some point. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I don't think those things will bring any more satisfaction, but I feel like it's... You know, you just got to go through the motions of life. You know, those are just the things you got to do. The dog will bring more satisfaction than you think. Well, I'm hoping. I don't know. I actually don't really know the meaning of life and what 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 is. You know, like in Islam, all you need to do is I don't know, pray five times a day, be good to people. So I guess I'm not really living a satisfactory life. <laughs>
How, how many times a day do you pray? Um, no comment. Stand. No. Uh, <laughs> I aspire to pray five times a day, but I often fall very short. Uh, I miss a lot. I'm forgetful. I'm lazy, but you know, I try to. I try to. I try to get my five in. I've got to get my five in. Mate, straight, uh, the morning one's the hardest. Straight after yeah. this podcast, once you're praying. Yeah, I've, I've got to pray straight after, actually. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm traveling, I'm in Kuala Lumpur at the moment, so when you're overseas, you can shorten your prayers, so there are, like, traveler concessions. So, you got, you know, you got to take advantage of those. So, oh, yeah, that's good. Got to, got to chuck a short, yeah, a shortened version of, of the afternoon prayer. Oh, that's good. It's good that they yeah, think man. of these things. It's just another reason to consider Islam, Adam. You, mate, you nearly had me converted by the end of that, that one-week <laughs> writing thing. Um, I know. What other religions offer you travel concessions? <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> Question five is, uh, who's the person who most influenced you and how? Uh, it would definitely be my mum, I would say. Uh, she, yeah, single mum, um, strong woman. Uh, came to Australia, uh, you know, uh, mid seventies, and times were a lot tougher for migrants than they are now. Um, you know, raised us all by herself, worked incredibly hard, instilled in us some pretty damn good values. You know, always made sure we were appreciative of things. Um, yeah, from a very young age, I think just kind of gave us a sense of social justice. So I find, yeah, a lot of my perspectives on life and the world kind of come directly from her, and I probably didn't know it at the time. But yeah, like. Looking back, I think that's sort of um, very much a reflection of, of my mum more than anybody else. And, yeah, she's still, you know, to, to be honest, like, she probably doesn't know, but um, discreetly I will ask her for advice in ways that, you know, she, I, I sort of run things by her indirectly just mm. to sort of see how she would, how she stomachs them. And, um, yeah, she, she's probably been, uh, yeah, she, she's one of the strongest women. But when she meet her, she, she's just a sweet, charming, you know, uh, Sri Lankan mum, but... You know, there's a quiet confidence in in South Asian women. Didn't she? Didn't she yeah. like approach the premier about something one time? <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah, I used to. We, we, we used to get bullied. Um, bullied in primary school. My my older sister used to used to get bullied a fair bit. She, I'm a smarter, so I tend to give it back a little bit. She used to get bullied. She told my mum what was happening. Um, so my mum went into the principal's office and told the principal off. About what was happening. The principal used to play tennis with the bully's mum. So the principal basically said, oh, Mrs. Shane, look, don't worry about it. Um, you know, I'm sure it's just in your daughter's head and I'm sure she's exaggerating a little bit. You know, this is a school. Things like this happen. And my mum said, uh, my mum left the office and was just furious. So she went into the local MP's office, who at the time was Jeff Kennett, the Premier of Victoria. And the receptionist said, can I help you? My mum said, I want to speak to Jeff. The receptionist said, well, um, you're going to have to make an appointment. And my mum just walked past the receptionist into Jeff's office and just said, Jeff, you need to do something about this. 45 minutes later, my mum walked into the principal's office with Jeff Kennett. <laughs> the, principal, the principal said, oh, um, oh, Mr. Kennett. And Jeff just said to the principal, listen, just do whatever this woman says. Oh, <laughs> She's, uh, you know, and, 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 and the bullying stopped, you know. So, yeah, I mean, to be honest, Jeff Kennett's done a lot of bad things, you know, Bill, you know, he, uh, you know, he closed down lots of schools, but, you know, my mum was able to bully him. Uh, and I have, a, sort of, I have a bit of respect for Jeff because of that. Yeah. Oh, mate, you know, that is, a, that is a spectacular answer to that question. And uh, <laughs> My mum, she's a gangster. Question, question six is, when was the last time you cried and why? Okay, 
I just I came over to Singapore about a week ago for some shows, and on the way I watched <laughs> I watched Last Cab to Darwin, oh, Michael yeah. Caton and um, forgot who else, and it's a great film. But I didn't I just I didn't think I would cry. But it's one of those. It's, it's basically about it's about a guy who finds out he's got cancer and he wants you know this is not giving too much much away. He just wants to he wants to get euthanized euthanized in Darwin. Um, but oh man, there was a couple of moments where I just had to, had to shield my eyes from. Ah, it was just yeah, it just got me, it just surprised me. I, I don't normally cry in movies. I, I genuinely, I don't. I'm not one of those people, um, and I would normally laugh at other people that do because I'm like, it's just a movie. <laughs> but yeah, it just caught me off guard. But mate, they, people do cry. I reckon. Well, I cry more easily when watching movies on planes. I don't know why. I think it's the um. You know what? That's what it's because you get more perspective when you're on a plane. You think mm-hmm. about life in a different way. You're above the world. You know, you're traveling. Something happens when you travel. Like you mm-hmm. think about things in ways that you don't, especially in that altitude. I think it's maybe something to do with the air yeah. pressure or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You cry on planes. There was there was a movie. Um, was it called The Interns or something? It was. That's that funny one about yeah, Google or something. Yeah, it was a ninety minute ad for Google, and I was bawling all the way through it. <laughs> That's a comedy, dude. <laughs> What's going that on? That is hilarious. <laughs> that is so funny. That is really funny. Uh, well, um, yeah, yeah. I think we, I think we've got to find an area of study there for a PhD candidate. Yeah, yeah. crying uh, on planes. Exactly. Uh, question seven is. Uh, I think no. Yeah, it is. It's question seven. Question seven is. What is your current state of mind? I have a trial show on Monday, and uh, I've got to come up with forty minutes of material and. I don't have maybe more than five, so I'm pretty stressed out at the moment. Um, And, uh, yeah, it's just just kind of writer's block, to be honest. I've just got to sit down and and do it. I'm great great at procrastinating. So, yeah, stressed. 40 minutes. That is hard. In in a few few days. Well, yeah, in a few days. um, But, look, it it can be pretty much. I tend to write on stage, so I just need to come up with some some ideas, to be honest, and uh, and then just, just riff with the audience. But even coming up with them is just doing my head in a little bit. I've just, you know, you've got so many other things on. It's just it's kind of hard to get that quiet time to yourself. To... Anyway, the best, I think I find like I write best when I'm not thinking about writing. So if I'm having a shower, if I'm going for a walk or, you know, if I'm at the gym or something, that's, that's when stuff comes to me. But if I'm sitting down to go, oh, I'm going to maybe try and think of some stuff, Right, right out of joke. It just doesn't work. Um, so, well, it, it can, but it's it's like the hardest way to write. So, which which makes it frustrating when you've got a deadline, you know, because yeah. you have to come up with stuff incidentally. Yeah, anyway. Oh, mate. Well, good luck. These are real problems. I, I I reckon people listening to this with real life problems are going to be like, dude, can you just shut your face for a second? <laughs> You're complaining about not being able to come up with jokes. I've got bills to pay. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, you know, 40 minutes of new material, that is, uh, that's hard. <laughs> that's right up there, man. Question eight is, what do you consider your greatest achievement? Ooh, I've got, you know what, I think I've got good friends. I've got, I've got mad friends and... Uh, you know, that takes work. That, that's an achievement because you don't they just that's fall there. I think one of my greatest achievements is, you know, doing, doing comedy for, for, for the Muslim community. I think sometimes that, that makes me feel genuinely happy seeing, mm. seeing like, my community laugh when they're, you know, they tend to be pretty sad about a lot of things collectively. So, yeah. eh, just a combination of things. Yeah. Pretty happy with my life at the moment. Also, um, I have uh, stuck to a diet for about four days. That's a, that's a massive <laughs> achievement. 
it's like a, the diet is a is a no sugar thing, and having having that sugar for four days. But um, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to splurge, binge on Monday, pre-show, you know. You'll be you'll be crying on the plane on the way home. Yeah, We're snorting lines of sugar. <laughs> and then Nazim's signal dropped out. He then moved to a different area in the hotel lobby and we were able to get through the final two questions. Question nine, who would you want on your side in a battle and why? In a battle? If I was fighting anybody, I would want the US Army on my side because they don't give a shit. They will bomb anybody. They don't ask questions. They follow orders. Um, and if it was going to be a super team, I'd want them to partner up with ISIS because those guys are brutal as well. Probably equally as brutal, if not more. They throw <laughs> people off build. They do anything. So both of those dudes together in a battle, man, U.S. Army, ISIS, led by Nazim Hussain, if they all got along, it would be the greatest, greatest fighting force in history. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to make that alliance happen in time for the battle. That's it, mate. But, uh... Mate, if you can do 40 <laughs> minutes off the bat, you probably could do anything. <laughs> The U.S. Army to join forces with ISIS for a battle. I don't know what the, who would be the common enemy there. What uh, about what about in a comedy battle? Who would you take in with? Who would you take in, in a, your side? In a comedy battle, <laughs> probably Dave Spell. Dave Spell's the funniest dude on the planet, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I got to meet him last year, and I touched his face, which was you know that's an achievement wow. in my life. I actually really wanted to touch his face, um, and I got my opportunity to do so, and I followed through. I touched it with my hands. He didn't really. He didn't know that that's what I was trying to do when I went in for a hug, but I was like, oh, sorry, I got my hand in your face. You had a notion that that's what you wanted to do? You wanted to touch his face? I to touch his face. Just, just, I don't I really want to do anything strange to a person. I don't, I don't fanboy over many people, but I, I, I fanboyed hard over Dave Spell. When he met me for the first time, he said something because I was supporting him. He said, he said, oh, hey, how you doing, man? And he said something complimentary, probably customary. And... Uh, I actually, I opened my mouth and I had nothing to say. It's like I, I couldn't, words couldn't come out of my mouth. So my manager actually had to step in for me and, and say stuff. She was like, yeah, he really appreciates uh, this opportunity. <laughs> so it was, it was just one of those moments. That's I, I just, that's I just loved him since as long as I can remember, yeah. Hey, um, and, and the final question is, uh, question 10, what would you like your last words to be? Uh, it's got to be something quotable. But there needs to be people there that can report it properly. I don't know, man. Something like, ah, it's got to be something funny. I actually feel like I should script this. Like, I, I need to have a few lines. I need to run them past people. So that in my moment of death, I'll be able to just pull them out and say it. And then people can say, his last words were... You've read so many final words from people. And it's like, as if you came up with that on the spot as you were dying. Man, no one has that much clarity. You're going to, like, how much pain? you go to when you're dying? I mean, unless yeah. that's what happens when you die. Exactly. Actually, in Islam, like, every pious person always, you know, talks about God and stuff and, mm. and says the, you know, the, but, you know, I just think that takes practice. I don't know. I just, I'm going to start practicing. Do you have final words planned? No, no, I haven't. I haven't. I, I've, uh, it'll probably be, um, oh, just, just pass me the sugar. Oh, pass me. Just, just what? Pass me the sugar. Pass me the, would you pass me the oh, salt? Is this, is this a toy gun? Finally, after some equivocation, I get his last words out of him. Is this a toy gun? But then Nazim said, if I died without coming up with some decent last words, he'd be sure to look after me. Well, you know what? If you say something stupid or shit, I'll, I'll report it completely. I'll report it so that, it's, so that your memory, like, oh, he, was, he was such a wise guy, I can't believe you said that. Yeah. I'll script them for you. 
Mate, thank you. I, I got you that is a, that's a true friend to, who would do that. I'm a true friend, man. That's I mean, right. That's what I'm saying now, that you're alive. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 911, where is your emergency? America's 911 call takers work around the clock to keep us safe, answering more than 240 million calls each year. They support and protect all of us, and they deserve our support too. That's why this April, National 911 Education Month, we want to thank our area's 911 call takers and dispatchers by sharing their stories. Thank you, 911, for being there when we need you most. Visit thankyou911.org to show your gratitude today.